Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rounding the Earth podcast. Rounding the Earth is a popular newsletter series published on Substack, written by applied statistician and educator Matthew Crawford. Topics of discussion range from critical analysis of conventional wisdom to Bitcoin and everything in between. And of course, more recently, the COVID-19 pandemic. Our goal is a careful examination of important topics and perspectives shaping the world that too few people talk about. Subscribe to Rounding the Earth on Substack, Rumble, and YouTube to join a burgeoning research community and to help us unflatten the earth. My name is Liam Sturgis. I am a musician, music producer, and writer-slash-editor coming at you live from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, or in other words, in outer space, where my new office is. And I will be your host for today. And allow me, please, to introduce you to my co-host, the author of Rounding the Earth, Matthew Crawford. Good afternoon, Matthew. Hello, sir. How are you doing? Good. Hey, do you say good afternoon? It's not afternoon for you. Do you say good afternoon? How does this I, work? I say good afternoon because that's what you're currently experiencing. It's a matter of courtesy. You know, as Canadians <laughs> are quite polite. Uh, <laughs> but yes, indeed, it is still morning for me, bright and early. I've got my you've got this mug full of uh, some, uh, well, not quite yet full of Blood of Tyrants wine, but we're not far off. Um, You're classier than I am. I'm drinking my coffee out of a jar. Hey, that's the hipster way. I know you're 45, but you could you could easily go for a 30 something hipster. No, we, 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 we have like 15 jars of cold brew in the fridge. That's how we do it these days. That's so hip. Um, well, okay. Uh, speaking of hip, these two gentlemen <laughs> that we have on seem to be uh, uh, describable by the word hip and probably some other very, uh, very good words. Please allow me to welcome to the show Dan Behrman and David Fight. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. How's it going? Hey, we're doing very well, and we're very happy to have you guys here. Um, yeah, do you want to introduce yourselves uh, for those who may, uh, in the audience, may not be familiar with your work? Uh, Dan, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I'm Dan Taxation is Theft Berman. Uh, I changed my middle name when I ran for president in 2020 because it's my name. Um, I didn't change it by begging the government for permission. Um, that was the whole shtick. It's my name. I get to change it because I say I want to change it. Um, and uh, that was kind of like the the foundation of the whole thing. Um, since then, I've kind of just been a political activist. Um, I've been getting involved in a lot of different uh, movements and causes and, and basically just trying to help the world out and make it a better place. Uh, I know so, how cliche that is. but um, oh, OK, well, I have to jump in and ask. Are, are you saying that your name is legally changed? Lawfully dance? changed lawfully so, changed yeah so so i changed it my my name is dan taxation stuff berman the government doesn't recognize me as that but i don't care what the government recognizes me as that because as far as i'm concerned they're not even real fair enough <laughs> based <laughs> uh and i'm david fight i'm the host of the fight for liberty podcast uh where we uh, talk to people who are currently fighting for liberty and break down how they got to where they are and try to get some uh, exciting information and also useful how-tos so that the people watching can also carry on in that mission and fight for liberty even better. Well, liberty seems pretty well represented today. Amen. So the, uh, today we, we've got a, 
a strange topic uh, to discuss, but I think it, it's strange but important. Um, it came up in a conversation. Uh, uh, I was in a conversation with with David, Dan, and a couple of other friends. Um, one who may join us uh, in in a little bit, if, uh, possibly. Um, and and the, the a topic came up where a group of people was referred to as being autistic. And I, I'll just go ahead and describe this group of people. Well, and 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 we'll, we'll get into this, but I'll go ahead and describe this group of people as uh, we're talking about dissidents, essentially, you know, social dissidents at the very least. But I think that it matters in a political sense, and I think that it, that that there is something um, that our political reality currently um, interfaces with this observation. In, in, in more ways than than we might be able to appreciate. But David, um, if you could uh, act as a proxy, our friend Stacia uh, may be joining us, but uh, it was it was her story that really got us on this conversation. So um, explain what was going on. Uh, yeah, uh, we were having a conversation with our good friend Stacia from uh, Second Look News, and she was telling us that she went to uh, Young Americans for Liberty convention uh, down in Florida this year. And a lot of the people there, I've been to the last three of those. Uh, I wasn't there the time she was, but uh, a lot of the people there present uh, a lot of those kind of shy, awkward, um, not really picking up on social cues type of characteristics that a lot of people do associate with autism. Um, and it's it's a trope that the the liberty movement is like 90 something percent autistic and i know that there have been a few like uh semi legitimate like studies to back that up but not um not detailed enough for a statistician like yourself um but it's it's been a trope for years as long as i've been in the movement and i'm sure dan can back me up on that cuz he's been in it a lot longer uh that yeah we oftentimes get uh called autistic now i have adhd so i like to call that diet autism because it's still on the spectrum so i consider myself part of that statistic but um yeah it's uh it's been a reputation of ours for some time yeah you're a pretty social friendly guy though um it, it, i wouldn't have uh, used that word to describe you um but uh there's a documentary documentary that came out recently i don't know if, you, if anyone here has seen it um it's a, a Bitcoin-related documentary where there was a convention that, that started in Acapulco. Um, have you guys heard of this convention? or Yeah, uh, Anarchapulco. Anarchapulco, yeah. thank you. I wasn't going to remember the name off the top of my head, but thank you. So I was watching this uh, this documentary, and the guy who was running it is kind of, you know, he's walking around with a camera, and there are lines of people, like, you know, getting ready for the beginning of it. You know, people standing in line. And, and, he, and he talks about... Um, the same phenomenon where uh, a lot of the participants are young men, um, socially awkward, uh, in most cases, you know, not there with a girlfriend, a woman. Um, so there is something going on here where <clears throat> the liberty movements uh, seem to be populated to a degree by young men who get referred to as autistic because of their lack of social acuity. And, and the word autistic came up uh, in the conversation. And I, and I said, well, you know, these people aren't really autistic. And, and I got pushback from this. You know, no, I think they are. I think they are autistic. And I said, no, 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 no. I, I you know, spent some of my education career working uh, with, 
with autistic students, and uh, and and it's a very different thing. Um, autism is a disability. Um, it is an extreme disability, and there are just a tiny handful of you know what people call autistic savants. Let, let's leave out the word savant. Let's just say um, you know high IQ uh, autists. Um, on the other hand, on the other hand, um, I, I I don't actually know. Like, is this is this? And, and I've been questioning this ever since this conversation. The degree to which it is a spectrum that does reach all the way into these people that we're talking about, um, you know, young socially awkward men. But I'm going to posit that I I think the majority of these young men are are not on the spectrum. That that it that there is something that is going on socially and has been going on for several decades now, and that it relates to this uh, this moment that we're seeing right now, this moment in time where um, liberty is really being challenged in the entire world. There is some there is some sort of a thing going on right now where um, uh, there is, I think there's an attempt to take away more and more liberty um, very quickly. I think that the pandemic relates more to that than it does a virus. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to to insert that into the conversation and, and, and maybe let's see where it goes. Yeah. I, I know uh, when, when we were having that conversation, when you mentioned that uh, you have the uh, history with people with disabilities and that it was a, a big chunk of your career, that's when I started to back off <laughs> my pushback. Cause I'm like, Oh shit, he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> like, oh, but, but I, I probably, you know, I mean, everything's a conversation, right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I know that from just from my personal experience, uh, there is a large number uh, of my friends who are, you know, straight up diagnosed um, and especially at these conventions. But I think what you're what you're pointing to is is kind of like a chicken or the egg issue of are we specifically marketing to people that are socially awkward or are people that are socially awkward have more time on their hands and more interest in less popular things and therefore are more likely to reach those kind of outer edges of society where uh, organizations like the, the Liberty Movement usually operate? I, I think the answer is yes, it's a combination of these things. I think that all of those factors are in play. I think it's also true that um, that people who um, believe in a uh, society with general liberty are also um, being sort of targeted uh, socially. I, I think that that's been going on. Um, you know, looking back uh, decades past, I remember going to college and uh, and you know having a generally libertarian attitude. And if we got onto especially economic discussions, um, I had uh, professors who would be actually like pointedly mean about it and that actually surprised me like like you know like didn't we come to college for like open conversation and and, and this is 1990s this isn't even recently you know this was 1995 um it sort of surprised me that uh, that there would be a general pushback um i you know i know better now i know that uh academia is uh, in most circles is not particularly friendly to um you know general libertarianism um so I, I'm going to bring something up. I'm going to share my screen right now. Um, I'm going to point to um, I'm going to point to an article that was written recently um, by a guy named Toby Rogers, um, and 
And he actually posits that because of vaccination, that huge swaths of the entire population are vaccine injured. And that because of this, it is making our politics sort of, you know, more divisive, um, perhaps even more violent. <clears throat> but one of, you know, there, there's this debate over, um, you know, vaccine injuries and uh, whether or not they cause autism. And I, I've, you know, three years ago, I couldn't have told you much about this debate. But, you know, over the past two and a half years, I've, I've begun to learn a lot of the details of it. And, uh, you know, vaccines that contain he heavy metals like mercury, uh, it's very plausible to me that there are uh, changes in the brain that occur, um, that there are disabilities that are going on that cause people to think differently. There is also, as I've discovered relatively recently, a huge overlap between um, uh, the autistic population and the transgender population. I don't know a ton about this yet. But I do see sort of a, a similar population, at least when I encounter uh, you know, online conversation, there seems to be sort of a lot of similarity and overlap uh, in the communication. So I wanted to bring that up because I don't know where it might take us in the conversation. But I, I, my, my gut instinct is there is something going on um, with, uh, you know, poisoning of the environment. There, there are real changes. Um, some of that is autism. Maybe there is this low-grade autism. I know I have friends who think that autism has been overdiagnosed, that, you know, maybe 20% of the cases aren't really autism. They're just, you know, um, painfully awkward people who, um, who may be uh, in difficult, you know, social circumstances. And I, you know, I, I think, I think that uh, like the, some of the young, young male libertarians in particular, and, and we may talk about the difference between male and female. I definitely want to go there. Um, but I think that they are targeted in social circles amongst people whose intention is to join the Mandarin class, to join high society. And, and so I'm positing this and I'm curious to know, has anybody here seen this? Like when I say that, do you go, oh yeah, that fits experiences that I've, I've watched. Well, like, as you're saying this, I'm, I'm thinking of like, um, so when I went to um, college and I, I kind of feel like I have to put that in air quotes as a little community college <laughs> um, that, uh, you know, I, I never even graduated from because that wasn't like, that wasn't my interest. So like there, I'm already kind of diverting from like the normal path, right, um, of what we're supposed to do. But I remember I was, I was like I was taking a lot of different classes in kind of everything because I was just, you know, things I was interested in, philosophy, psychology and all this other stuff. And in psychology, like it started out, you know, we we're, were learning all these like psychological disorders. And the professor kept saying, like, you know, it was every single day. It was like it was like and then there's psych 101 disease uh, or psych 101 disorder, which is when you think you have everything in this book because um, you're <laughs> reading it and it's like. Oh, um, clinical depression is this, this, this. Oh, that's me. I have that. <laughs> you know, like everything that's in there, it's like, it's like you think you have it. And I even saw a meme that like went across um, where it was like, you know, if uh, uh, something I saw recently that was like, um, you know, if, if somebody says something and you have to ask them, I'm sorry, can you say that again? And then before they even start talking, then it clicks what they said and you understand what they said and you don't need them to repeat it, but you just sit there listening to it anyways. Like that's, uh, uh, I think they, um, they called it like some sort of speech comprehension disorder or something. 
And it's like, and it's like, oh my God, I have that. Um, <laughs> and it's like, but it's like, and I think like, you know, we've, we've kind of like discussed this with autism now where it's like, well, you may not be autistic, but you're on the spectrum. And I think like, this is all kind of like related to this thing where it's like, like, yeah, you can have something that like resembles it a tiny bit. Like you can be sad one day because, you know, somebody close to you died. Yeah. You're going to be sad. That doesn't mean you have clinical depression and, you know, and, and like, and like, yeah, it might be kind of related, but it's like, it's like, you know, Ooh, I cut my finger versus, Oh, I just cut my entire arm off. Like it's a major difference. And I think, you know, a lot of this has to do with, with trying to, um, trying to, you know, we, we just like to put everything in a box, right? Like, Oh no, this is, this is in that box. Like no matter how small it is, it's like, well, it's an injury. Let's stick it in that box. It's a mental disorder. Let's stick it in the, no matter how minor it is. So I think a lot of it kind of comes from that. Um, and, and, you know, that's, and then we kind of like, you know, um, brush it off as like, as like, oh, well, it's, you know, yeah, it's not full autism, but it's on the spectrum, no matter how small it is. But, and then, then we kind of qualify it as that. So I think there's a lot of that going on, but, you know, I think it's also just so many different factors. Yes. Environmental, environmental factors, um, social factors, pressure factors, um, um, education, conditioning, propaganda, like things that, things that we're all subjected to throughout the environment, whether it's, whether it's chemical or, or informational. Um, and they, I think it all plays an effect on how we behave. Um, and, you know, whether or not that makes something a disorder is, is a completely different question, I think. And if I can just add, this is a great point. Potentially diagnoses are worth good money to schools. You know, whether or not that's something specific we can go into. The idea of mass categorizing and mass data collecting. You know, somebody at some point benefits from having data on everything that exists. And I think that's just part of a trend we're seeing where everything, like you say, can be put into these little boxes. And once they're in boxes, those are now actionable pieces of information. But then that has nothing anymore to do with the underlying premise, which is that this person is dealing with some illness. It becomes more of a you're a you're a you're a number in a large collection of numbers. And maybe these numbers don't actually mean much at that point. Just wanted mm -hmm. to add that in. Yeah, because yeah. I get ads for uh, various different softwares that are supposed to like help uh, manage your your work day if you have ADHD. And I'm not like officially diagnosed uh, on paper anywhere. There's no there's no way for them to have that except for me saying it a bunch of times into my phone uh, microphone. But yeah, now now it's worth money because they're able to target ads towards somebody who has ADHD. That's that's interesting, too, because I, like I know a lot of people who think they have a disorder and they won't like, you know, yeah, but I'm not going to go get diagnosed because then I'm going to be on a red flag list. I won't be able to buy a gun or, you know, all, all these other things. Um, so I, I think that's really interesting, too, because that's like, you know, it's kind of like then it becomes a guessing game. And like, you know, <laughs> like, how do you tell? And, and, you know, do you even trust the professionals if the professionals are, are wanting to overdiagnose everything? Yeah. And and uh, I, I just want to I've said it on the show before, but Dan, what you just described that specific situation about. So myself, uh, I'm happy to admit I have at one point in my life been diagnosed with a depressive disorder. I'm not convinced. I don't know where I stand on that now, um, but that is something that doesn't go away once it's in your record. For example, there's the gun example. You know, it's a bit different in Canada. Uh, I probably never will own a gun. Um, 
even if it weren't, you know, the case with my uh, medical situation. But then even as I'm I'm choosing to do, for example, various uh, surveys and questionnaires on COVID-19, uh, you know, trying to contribute uh, uh, perhaps an under surveyed perspective on on things. And one of the questions is often, have you ever been diagnosed with this, this or this? And as I'm as I'm, you know, answering, I'm realizing that could very well to the people interpreting the data completely shade over everything else that I've contributed just by a matter of, oh, well, this this participant indicated he has a, you know, anxiety or depression or whatever. So we can interpret that differently. So mm-hmm. it, it's real. It does it does manifest in ways that are um, potentially problematic and hard to get rid of that that yeah. mark, that diagnosis. What's interesting about that, too, is um, I, I, I'm. I've seen this like a few different times where um, whether it's like psychology students go and commit themselves to a mental institution. Um, There was a a woman who just wrote a book about it. I don't know if she she committed herself as a study or like because she actually had some sort of depression. But um, but basically an entire book was written about this in her experience of, you know, people who and and in the case of the students, they had no disorder. They went and committed themselves. But once you're in there. And you're basically like, I'm better or I, I was never ill to begin with and then try to convince them I'm ready to get out. They don't want to let people go. And it's like, I think that's, you know, it's like, oh, no, you're not better. You just you're just delusional and think you're better. Um, and, and it's like it's, you know, kind of like that goes to your point. I think like once you have that mark on your history, it's like that's kind of there forever. And interestingly enough, um, they like employment applications ask that question with arrests. Have you ever been arrested? And interestingly enough, if you've ever been arrested and you have your record expunged, you're legally, from what I understand, not a lawyer, you're legally allowed to say, no, you haven't been arrested. Like if it was a wrongful arrest or, you know, something like that so that you don't, you don't get that stigma, but with, with mental illness, like, I don't know if there's a process where you say, no, I was misdiagnosed. I never actually had it. You can remove that from my record. I don't know if they have that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to mention, because Dan, you were talking about uh, like Psych 101 disorder, and I also took Psych 101 um, and did the same thing through the textbook of like, oh, I have that, I have that. (laughs) And I think that a lot of that is this growing trend of just lack of personal responsibility for things where it's a lot easier for me to go through life and blame my lack of self-discipline on my ADHD and my like all of my other problems on like anxiety or depression or something else. It's really easy to be like, oh, I'm sorry I didn't complete that project. I have ADHD. And now you're not really allowed to be mad at me because it's a it's a symptom of an illness that right. you can't really be mad at me for. And but I didn't do the thing you told me to do. And it's uh, it's a very problematic trend, but I see it growing, especially people like my age and within like this decade uh, of where everything is just a symptom of a mental disorder instead of something that you can actually work on and fix. Right, right. It, it can be infantilizing if, if it causes you to have a reason why you haven't um, gone to a certain level of skill building or discipline mm-hmm. building, um, then then that can become a crutch for some people. Um, uh, interesting thought. Well, one of the one of the places I wanted to take the conversation today was how it is that social pressure 
can actually, you know, steer these results. Because, um, yeah, we're living through a moment right now where there is an enormous amount of social pressure. And we may get to see whether this is different for men or women uh, within, like, the liberty movement. Um, we see most of that pressure being applied to men. It is, it's more young men who are, you know, going to uh, libertarian-ish uh, types of, you know, group social functions. And perhaps it is until, until people are married, maybe it is that men are, are just looking for social functions that uh, fit their values as much as possible um, to see if they find a mate. But uh, I'm, I'm going to read a, a um, text message that came in from a friend um, of mine, someone, someone that I grew up with, at least in the sense of uh, we were in middle and high school together. Um, and she wrote me, she said, hey, I haven't talked to you uh, in so long. I hope you and Amanda are doing okay. One of my closest friends was diagnosed with acute leukemia uh, all last year. She was started. Uh, she start, first started having symptoms of it two months after her second COVID vaccine dose. It's honestly miraculous she's alive and responded well to chemo uh, to now be in remission. She's met with a few other people with similar stories. Of course, any info online says that uh, uh, says that it could be COVID correlation, but don't have any. Um, uh, articles of vaccine causality. She can find patient testimonials, but no research articles. Have you seen much about vaccine and blood cancers like leukemia or lymphoma? Um, are, are any uh, hematologists, oncologists researching it? So, so I, you know, and, and, and I told her, yes, hematological issues. Yes, leukemia. Yes, we are hearing about this. Um, you know, it comes from a number of places, but uh, having gone into the military health database myself uh, to, to uh, help with that analysis. Um, the largest category of illnesses as far as like, you know, percentage increase in the military in 2021 was hematological disorders. And when I talk to people uh, who study cancers or doctors who work with patients, I'm hearing, uh, I'm hearing le leukemia, lymphoma, um, um, Cancers, cancers that were there and had gone into remission, but but reoccurred, and soft tissue cancers. You know, those are exactly the ones that that we are hearing about in general. Mm -hmm. But here's what's happening: um, uh, the the people who are vaccine injured are being gaslighted by their doctors. They're being told, like, you know, you're the only one, or it must have been COVID. You know, w without any real further you know, research, doing anything. And so these people are having to form their own online communities, which is what you see with both autistic people and with people who are transgender. You're looking for a social community. Um, and But is, is this going to result in any kind of like um, a social split? Now, also that happened this week, in the last day or two, um, Del Bigtree's group, uh, ICANN, uh, their lawyer, Aaron Siri, FOIA'd for the, the vSafe data. And it's, it's astounding, but those of us who were keeping track knew that it was coming. Uh, what, it, there are 3.35 million Americans with serious adverse events reported in this system. 3.35 million. It's a very big number. It's more than 1% of the people who have, who have been vaccinated. Right. Um, it's it's like 0.7 percent serious adverse events per dose, which was what they saw in the trials, too. But now we have um, you know, we have these numbers. That's a lot of people, three point three five million. And a lot of them are being told, you know, this is rare. You're the only one. We don't know if it's vaccine caused. 
you know, it just happens that 3.35 million Americans were severely injured. But here's the thing. Uh, a substantial majority of these injuries happen in women. The Whatever is going on, there is a clear tilt toward uh, vaccine injury in women. And I don't know if anyone knows why. I don't, you know, I, who knows what's going on? Um, who knows if it's a reporting bias? But it, it is what it is. So, um, you know, we, we may see the difference in, in terms of what kind of um, result there is from social pressure now. Um, but I think that, that social pressure can begin to mimic actual illness. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is why the term autist has been applied to, um, you know, young men in their 20s. I, I, I think that it is it's it may even be an intentional way to harm people. Um, who might be in your vicinity of your social circle by enforcing isolation. Mm -hmm. I also just want to add, I have heard it used in the context of almost a compliment uh, in that, for example, Robert Barnes from time to time in his streams will refer to this this group of, of people who may or may not actually have autism, as we're talking about. But, they, you know, there are certain characteristics that uh, can be thought of maybe traditionally as a benefit. You know, the, the intense attention to detail, the uh, inexplicable creativity that some autistic people seem to have and their ability in the context of... Um, you know, a current event uh, going in and identifying flaws in a narrative or going in and finding records of this or that. So I've actually thought of the 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 label, oh, the autists, you know, went and discovered this in some cases to actually be a positive thing or intended as a positive thing in certain contexts. At least that's that's how I understand its use there. And the other thing I, I just want to say is I've always found it interesting how close the word autist is to the word artist. I've always found that to be very fascinating. There's a meme about that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, it's it's like you know somebody saying like uh, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll butcher it if I say it, but yeah, basically somebody misunderstanding the the you know the word autistic for artistic. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but but it's interesting too. Like I, I think I've seen the the opposite of that, and this this might go to uh, Matt what you were talking about. Um, with like a kind of social divergence where I've seen in libertarian circles where, I mean, the libertarian circle is known for people disagreeing with each other. Um, and when they fight, a lot of times you'll see them refer to each other, like they'll call each other, you know, stop being autistic or, you know, you know, they'll, they'll like use it as an insult um, against each other. And of course this, this creates like a further divide, but um you know, I, like, I don't know how much of that is, is happening outside of that also, where it's like, I, I know it happens plenty where like, you know, you, you were talking earlier about, um, you know, if you, if you come up with this new idea about something that, that society generally rejects, they push that away. And like, you know, yeah, that can go form another culture. Um, I was actually watching a documentary about, um, uh, uh, I can't remember exactly what it was about the corals. Um, and like it started out as a documentary about corals and then it slowly started going into like global warming, climate change and everything. But what was interesting was somebody who, who basically I think it was in the 1980s, 1990s, came out and said, yeah, the, the, the ocean temperatures are warming. And he was like, you know, he was basically ostracized from the from the scientific community at that time. You know, this is this is like 40 years ago. 
And now it's like that, like, I think a lot of people have, have been pushed into that community and that community has now grown. And now that's actually more of a mainstream, very popular idea of, of climate change and global warming and everything else. So, you know, and, and what's interesting too, is once you start, once, once it starts becoming a popular movement, you know, whether it's true or not, you have a lot of people who are not even concerned with the facts or the data behind it, but they like, it, it almost becomes like, you know, oh, I want to be a part of what's popular. And you see a lot of people joining the movement having no idea, like they can't, they can't explain it. They don't know any of the science themselves, regardless of whether or not it's true, they can't explain it themselves. And I think, you know, you, you have that, um, you know, people wanting to be a part of something, joining a group and, and you know, um, uh, sorry, I'm trying to bring this to, back to how this relates to what we're talking about with, with autism. But I think, you know, some people can say like, hey, that's a group I want to be a part of because, you know, for, for whatever reason, I've been pushed away from one group. I've been pushed towards another group. Let me kind of adopt and embrace and just take on, you know, everything without without even having a full explanation of what this is all about or what autism is. I'm going to I'm going to be a part of that group. And so you have some people even embracing that and, and, and you know, to to a certain degree. Yeah. And you end up getting a, a really solid echo chamber uh, and, you know, we're seeing the same thing with, uh, you know, people who are, you know, more more in our camp uh, about the COVID stuff. But I see this as, as a negative, uh, even if I agree with them, uh, you get to that point where once you get pushed out of mainstream circles, you stop trusting any sort of actual data or science or anything like that. And so, you know, with your example of global warming, for so long, they were told, no, you're wrong. Uh, all of science agrees that you're wrong. And so now when somebody says this science says you're wrong, they're like, oh, yeah, no, that's just, you know, the oil and gas lobbies buying off of a research institute and doing that that study, which is probably true in some cases. Uh, and so you you end up getting this echo chamber of an online community, like you said, Matthew, where everyone agrees, no one lets anybody that disagrees in because they're just blue-pilled, uh, like, establishment hacks, and you just continue barreling down this road without any, like, actual uh, controversy or, or, or anyone actually, like, pushing back at all, and you just believe everything wholeheartedly. Yeah, and you know what, um, uh, Matthias Desmet mentions this in his book that he published recently. Um, what, what's the title on that, Liam? The uh, Psychology of Totalitarianism. Thank you. The Psychology of Totalitarianism. Um, he says, um, and and I and I think he's describing uh, describing where this happens a little bit wrong. But we'll, we'll talk about that. He says that in like conspiracy theory communities, you can also have mass formation. I think that it is it's in dissident communities where you can also have mass formation. Um, whether or not that dissident community is a conspiracy theory community or something else, right? Um, once you have, uh, you know, the breaking of the social circle and the bubbling off of, of tribes, um, there is the possibility that a tribe can also be targeted with, with sort of a, an opposite uh, narrative propaganda in order to be able to control that population. Because when proxy trusts trust breaks, um, David, I, I think what you were describing is sort of like a, a reactionary, you know, uh, dismissal of trust as opposed to really what should be done, which is, hey, we have to think through these problems uh, from a neutral position 
right, from, from a non-biased perspective, as opposed to thinking of it as part of the tribal identity, you know, let, let's think of things from the roots again. So uh, it's a challenging thing to to reinvent all of your, you know, scientific knowledge and principles as a dissident, you know, as a dissident group. And I think that's part of why, um, you know, it, it acts as a speciation. It does have to defend itself against, um, you know, propaganda and mind control in the same ways as always. Actually, and I and and I'll say this, um, and this is part of the reason why I wanted to have a a full conversation about this. Once we started the conversation, you know, I, I all these things, all these ideas kept flooding in. Like, okay, if, if what we're seeing is is people being broken down into groups, uh, partially by labeling, but partially by self identification, then what you have are all these fragmented, um, all all of these fragmented groups that each can be targeted with with their own narrative propaganda and i do think that that the sellers of propaganda are studying this and they know mm -hmm. i mean even the uh the group that created the name of your your show here uh talks about this a lot like if uh if you talk to any like actual flat earther the flat earth society is a joke it's mm. controlled opposition they're fucking morons and if you look <laughs> into them at all uh they really are really bad at arguing the the flat earther points in, in any way shape or form uh, if you if you look at it it does look like controlled opposition because they are just really bad uh but yeah in almost every group there's that that number one guy, there's that Alex Jones for the for almost every group that is just saying the wackiest stuff you could possibly say and discrediting all of the stuff that the people under them actually believe. Uh, and yeah, I, I think you see that in, in literally almost every uh, kind of divided up group. That's interesting because, it, you know, it's funny. I, I, while I called this brand Rounding the Earth, um, I, I really don't know that that much about the flat earthers. I mean, I, I, I know that they exist. I know um, I, I watched a documentary on them once. And I actually the, the moment I watched this documentary, I was like, is this like a gag? Is this like controlled opposition? Like that there was like one person who's going to these conventions and talking and he seemed like a very practiced, like, you know, people organizer. And I just thought, wow, is this just one big giant like psyop? Let's see what we can do, you know, manipulating people. Um, and and I, I don't know. I haven't dug, you know, very deeply into it, but uh, that's an interesting point. If I can just, uh, I love the name Rounding the Earth. I, I know nothing about how it came about. I've jumped into this, uh, you know, movement and group later. But the way I interpret it is it doesn't matter if, so if someone asks earnestly or not, is the earth flat the fact that that question is treated the same way that anti-vaxxers are treated or that domestic terrorists are treated that's weird that doesn't add up to me the fact that 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 question in particular and it's interesting because the history of the belief about the roundness or flatness of the earth it's sort of a fundamental example and trope of scientific inquiry in general it's the example you use to go hey there was a point where we thought the earth was flat and then one dissident decided to not give in when he was told he was crazy and when he was locked up and so my my assertion is 
everyone should be allowed. There should be no ability to or no no uh, reason to stop someone from asking the question, is the earth flat? Because if it's not, then that in theory will be able to, you know, come to that <laughs> come to that understanding fairly quickly. But but it's just like any other question. You, if it's if someone doesn't know the answer, we should enable them to go find it, not shout them down for being it just doesn't make sense. You can at least kind of get why people are afraid of people who don't vaccinate. Like there, you can at least get the logic, but the flat earth thing is weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That right there. Uh, this is, this is part of the reason I wanted to name the brand that it had multiple meanings to me, right? Like there's all kinds of like routing the earth, the sort of, you know, connectivity of people of everybody around the globe. Um, you know, also, you know, rounding can be seen as like, uh, looking for value, uh, like, you know, uh, Poker players call themselves rounders. Sometimes they're, you know, rounding the edges uh, of, of whatever the, the rough spots are of the players at the table. Um, but but the fact that the conversation is actually difficult for people, you know, you sit down with with uh, you know most of the educated people in America and you ask them, you know, um, make a convincing argument for why the the Earth is round, and most people can't even really do it very well, right? And that was actually part of why I wanted to use that as the name of my Substack originally was, hey, you know, let's let's patiently work out, um, you know, details of some things that are hard to explain. Because if you just leave it sort of floating out there as intuition, um, I mean, not you know, your intuition is very valuable and it's usually correct, and that's why it, it develops as your intuition. At the same time, um, you know, you want to be able to. Um, you know, your, for your intuition to meet investigation science, and you want them also to be communicable. And it, it, it is the separation of those, you know, three things, perhaps, you know, the intuition, the science and the communicability that winds up um, creating opportunity for speciation. Mm -hmm. And I even wonder if um, the flat earth movement was possibly put together for the purpose of studying propaganda there's um this is an interesting so like i i love conspiracy theories and i love listening to people even if i think like you know that's total bs um because ironically uh, like i've i kind of started down that path and started investigating some of these things and found i know this is actually true that's and it was scary but like when flat earthers come to me i'm like okay yeah i totally don't believe it but I want to listen, like, I'm interested in math and science and like, okay, well, how do you explain it? And I like having that conversation. But what's mm -hmm. interesting is like, when I challenge them, sometimes they get really frustrated and really passionate about proving their point. And at that point, I usually ask them, okay, look, like, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say you're wrong. But let me just say for the sake of argument, if I were to agree with you that the earth is flat, what would that change? Like, I'm, you know, we're still going to go to work tomorrow. We're still going to do our thing. We're still going to see our family. We're still going to go hang out with our friends. Whatever we do to live our lives, we're still going to do that. Whether, mm -hmm. the, whether the earth is round or flat doesn't make any difference. And, and but that still is like, that, that doesn't like, at that point, that doesn't kind of like kill the, the passion that they have. They're still like, no, you have to believe what I'm telling you. And what that really resembles to me is a lot of the passion that people have about um, religion, which is basically yeah. how do we explain the universe, the world that we're living inside of, right? And I think a lot of this actually boils down to um, the, the cognitive dissonance, which is like, 
basically if, if people believe we're living in this world, whether it's a simulation, whether it was, you know, just whatever the universe just popped out of nowhere, whether it was like God created it, whatever your explanation is for it, you have to believe in that. And if, if anything, like if there's like a, you know, a, a tear in the fabric that, that shows like, oh, wait, maybe that's not true then everything that you've based your life on, if your entire life is based on that, starts to come apart. Like, well, wait a minute, I based this on, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, what happens if you have a house and it's built on a foundation and the foundation starts to crumble, the house starts to sink, right? So if your entire existence is, is based on top of um, defining what type of world we live in, whereas a lot of people might just say like, it doesn't matter what type of world we live in, it just, it is what it is. We're gonna live our lives and just try to be happy. Um, then, then if, if you're, if it's fundamentally built on that, then any kind of like break in that, um, is, is, is difficult. And if you're not, um, I, I don't know how to say this, um, cause, cause I don't want to say it too concrete, but if, if somebody challenges that, that's kind of a threat to you. Not because like, even if you think they're wrong, right. Let's say I believe the earth is round and, and somebody tells me it's flat. I could get upset about that because, you know, no, it, it has to be round. It has to be round. But I could, I could just not believe them and say, okay, fine. You want to think whatever you think, like, you know, go be crazy. Like what, what really, what impact does that really have on me that somebody else thinks of something, thinks of the world that we live in differently than I think about it myself, unless for some reason, just somebody thinking that makes me question it. And that makes me afraid of my own beliefs. So and I think there's, and then, you know, this, this is like the same thing we see play out like throughout the world, throughout history with religious wars and everything else. So I, I think, I don't know, but at the end of the day, I think it's all kind of crazy. It's like, eh, we're all here and <laughs> just live. That's it. I agree. But I think also what Lowell's pointing out here, the, so like, what else have they lied to me about notion? I'm not sure in which direction Lowell means it, but that's what I was going to bring up is, um, you know, you also, you, you say uh, you, you've come across some conspiracy theories that you've gone down the rabbit hole and found, oh, wow, this particular part of it is true. And I think there's often nuance where, you know, you might discover if you're someone exploring the idea of flat earth and you go and you find uh and i don't know if this is the case but i've heard it argued that a lot of the pictures that we have of the planet or of space can be found to have been i don't know photoshopped um and then you come to the conclusion that they that may not mean the earth is flat that may have nothing to do with that but what else is nasa misrepresenting for example mm -hmm. And then ideally you can separate the idea and you can say, okay, well, this is not evidence that the earth is flat. It is, however, evidence that at a minimum NASA was misleading on this. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that is also part of what uh, maybe some people get threatened by is the idea like, okay, so you believe what they're telling you here. Therefore, do you believe everything else they tell you? And of course, all of this is it's sort of a self-constructed straw man. None of this is what we're actually trying to talk about. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say this for the audience, just so that everyone's clear on this, uh, that that picture of the earth behind Liam, that one's fake. <laughs> this one's real. If I lean back far enough, I fall into orbit. So I kind of have to balance here. Um, so anyhow, well, you know, what? I, I, I'm going to point this out. I actually think that there is something fundamental to our, our psyche in these questions, which is that if there is some sort of an illusion, 
if there is, you know, like, what's the implication? You know, why do we care if Queen Elizabeth was a giant lizard? I'd still go about living my life and, you know, um, <laughs> hanging out with my friends or raising my kids or whatever I, I do with my time. Um, okay, maybe there are reptilian aliens who are running the earth. My life's still my life, right? Um, but there is, you know, obviously, when you go that far, when you go far enough to go, oh, you know, there, there is a um, species level competition. We are talking about evolutionary conflict. You know, we're talking about fundamental at the core game theory that relates to the survival of our lineage and possibly even species. So I think that that these questions do wind up and this and this is why they they, you know, I think people become so enraptured in them, whether or not they are true. You know, when when you're questioning something like whether or not the authorities are competent enough to create a giant illusion about everything, including the shape of the earth, then you are questioning something that is fundamental to whether or not um, your actions matter for you, right? Mm -hmm. If you are that controlled, then perhaps your actions can only benefit someone else and their lineage and that yours would then be completely controlled. And, you know, this, this I could see potentially driving some people crazy, like literally crazy, push them off the edge. Um, but at the very least, there is a major psychological barrier that is there for a very real fundamental reason. Mm -hmm. And I, I went through what you were describing, Dan, of just like the having to question everything. Um, like when I was probably 18, 19 years old, I started to walk away from the faith. I was raised as a like fundamental uh, young earth creationist Christian. Uh, and I walked away from my faith without walking away from the young earth creationism, because like that's still how the world was created. That's still my understanding of the earth as it is. And like, maybe I don't believe in that specific dude in the sky, but like, I couldn't just completely switch to like, oh, like all of these evolutionists that I've been arguing with for my entire life are right. And I, I couldn't like fundamentally just flip that switch. And it took half a decade for me to even like begin questioning that on top of the, the questioning the actual faith and religion. Uh, so yeah, especially with something like flat earth, uh, you know, if they're lying to us about that, they're lying to us about a lot. They're lying to us about global warming, about like the, the scare, false scarcity, uh, whether that's in like food, water, or just space. Cause flat earthers believe that there's like something beyond Antarctica that we could go to. And there actually is enough space in the universe for all of the humans. And we don't have to be in these tiny little cities of 10 million people that we are, uh, and like, if that's true, we're being put into this meat grinder of, of a society that we live in nowadays for nothing. And that's a big fucking deal. And if you actually like believe that, then you get to throw so much of what else you know into the garbage and stop believing what the news says, stop believing what the government says, stop believing what's in your history textbook, which for the most part you already should. But uh, it's it's a big uh, break. That's a lot more than just uh, finding out that like MK Ultra is a real thing. 
Now, now, two things. One, we got plenty of room up here in Canada. Uh, if you look, <laughs> we all live like basically in the United States, geographically speaking. So y'all can come up here. It's a lot of igloos once you get far enough north. You're going to have to share with some Inuit folks, but that's okay. Second thing, let's flip it on its head. The public, you know, looking at it. It's funny how in this conversation, we've immediately linked flat earth to climate change denial, quote unquote, uh, anti-vax sentiment, quote unquote, and quite literally the queen being a lizard. And, <laughs> and I think there's obvious reasons why this is. These are all, you know, examples of the more classic dissident thoughts that are, that are to some considered way out there. But then what if, going back to Matthew's point about sort of an intentional psyop here, what if there's an effort to link all of these ideas where some of them are quite clearly rooted in reality, others are rooted in speculation, one might say. But from the public perception, if you, if you now invoke climate change, you're still attaching it to this flat earth and lizard discussion. And it has, the, I think, a psychological effect that has nothing to do with the argument. They actually don't have anything to do with each other other than perhaps the idea that they're all things that are being misrepresented by authority. But does it have an effect of, of silencing dissonance? Absolutely. I, I mean, I've seen, um, I've heard the argument all the time, like when I start talking about certain things, like, oh, well, you must also believe in this or that. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And I know this this happens absolutely a lot. And and I think a lot of it, um, especially nowadays, like with, um, you know, the Trumpster category, it's like, oh, you're anti-vax, you must be a Trumpster, which means you also must be this and this and this and this. And it's like, it, yeah, <laughs> there's definitely an association between all that or, or um, an accused association. I, I, I think most people can't. Two... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Go ahead David. I was just going to say, most people can't believe only part of what an authority figure is saying. And, you know, I even find myself uh, in that in that issue. Um, I, I called the, the Ukraine invasion wrong, along with Scott Horton and Spike Cohen, because I trust those guys uh, significantly more than my own intuition on what's going on in uh, foreign matters, especially things about war. Like Scott Horton is a is the expert. So Scott Horton said Russia probably isn't going to invade. So I said Russia probably isn't going to invade. Uh, and you know, it's and I'm somebody that does like study and care about these things. So for the average person, you know, they've latched on to a Tucker Carlson or a Rachel Maddow. And they're going to believe everything from them. And then they're going to assume that of everyone else. So if Spike says this dumb thing, then I must believe that too. Um. Yeah. And, and I think that uh, if somebody, if somebody has a big following and they profit by selling lies, um, what they may do is, is figure out what is the optimal ratio and know what it is that they can take money for selling after telling a certain number of truths that fit their audience and then being able to, to slip in the big lie. But I think we, we, we've brought this around to, I think we're hitting a lot of uh, thought topology here um, because talking about how all of these different um, conspiracy theories, which may have greater and lesser amounts of truth to them, um, they do get grouped together. I think that that is an ash conformity experiment. I think that's part of the reason, yeah, you know, and, and you know, just like Dan said, uh, somebody says, "Oh, you believe this? You must believe all these other things too, right?" Um, there's this uh, attempt to create a straw man, but I do think that it's effective, and I think that it keeps a lot of people who are on the inside uh, from questioning much of anything, 
right? Those are the people who just say, okay, you know, forget questioning anything. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go along to get along and accept everything that the talking box tells me to accept. So we're, we're talking about ash conformity experiments. Uh, I think we're also talking about the, the rats in a cage. Um, Chris Martinson uh, talks about this a decent bit. Yeah, there, there are these experiments that took place where, um, you know, rats were given, uh, I think it was in their water, uh, they could have cocaine in their water or just water. And they would choose the water with the cocaine when they were in these little cages and they would just, you know, consume it, consume it, consume it, die. Right. And, and, and I don't think it was every single rat did the, had the same activity. There was some variation. But what they found was uh, another researcher came in and said, OK, well, you know what? Let's open up the let's open up the habitat, the ecology for the rat. And they made the rat park and the rat park was like way cooler. It's like you know the difference between living in a house that you can never leave and the difference between having, you know, uh, several blocks to walk around and maybe a park. You know, um, so, you know, you, you wind up with far fewer rats choosing. The, they still have the cocaine available, but far fewer chose it. And so you had much less addiction and much, much less misery in the rat park. And we don't even know exactly how far that experiment would continue, you know, uh, open up the whole world to the rats and, and how many of them, you know, go foraging for cocaine. Probably not many of them. Uh, <laughs> so not my kind of rat then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think that, that, you know, what we're talking about is sort of creating mental barriers for people that put people in a position where, um, you know, they can be, they can be shocked by even being told their thought experiments, put them on the outs that their thought experiments, um, uh, you know, approach these other conspiracy theories, which some of which may be just completely wacko mm -hmm. and some of which may be perfectly true. And there may be a lot of variation between, but uh, I, I think it's, it's a way to control people by causing pain and by enforcing speciation. And I think this is what happens to, um, you know, especially young men who don't have a lot of experience in the world yet. Um, you know, you know, 22 years old, you know, and, and uh, I'm at the age of 45. Oh man, we're still learning at this age oh, so much, <laughs> but uh, you know, so, somebody who walks out of just, you know, whatever, um, whatever views of the world they were handed growing up um, and they question and suddenly they're a dissident and that's mm -hmm. a difficult life. Yeah. It is a difficult life. I think your your point about the rat park uh, goes back to something I was going to comment on earlier because you were when we were still on on the main topic of uh, the autism and and the spectrum and everything is the effect that uh, environment and uh, like what we consume whether that be food or or media or something like that has a large effect on that you know there's plenty of studies now to back up that like all of the processed food uh has has an effect on the human brain that makes you act more adhd like uh or more autistic uh and i think what you're talking about about the rat park it might be intentional um that we're we're being forced into this uh grind that you know if you listen to any like communist talk about something that's one of the things i love most about the people on the left is is their attack on on western culture of this like 70 hour work week or you're a lazy bum 
uh, where you really only have a couple hours at night, so you can't do anything fun. All you're going to do is get drunk so you can sleep better, so you can wake up the next morning, maybe do a line of coke and, and uh, you know, get off to work. And we're kind of being forced into this life where I drink two or three cans of an energy drink a day at this point just to, like, keep me going uh, to get through what we have to get through. And whether or not this is intentional, I think it's definitely happening where we're being forced into a much less enjoyable life where we're attaching ourselves to these things. Now, this is very exciting. Oh, Hello, no. Stacia. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Oh, good. I can barely hear you. Let's see. Well, she's, she's, well, she's working on that. I just want to say to, to David, to your point, like, yeah, a lot of people are even thinking that about the isolation that comes with the COVID stuff, like trying to get us to stay in our homes. Mm -hmm. Like it becomes, you know, like cabin fever, like the prison cell, like um, so many analogies of, of, of what that is, but in isolation. And, and I think uh, Matthew, the, the study you're talking about, they were basically saying that it was um, the, the social interaction is what like made those rats happy. Um, and so, and so I, I think they drew, I don't know exactly what correlation, but like they drew some correlation to people who actually have drug addictions, not because the drug itself is addictive, but because of, um, you know, they, they might not have friends and family to turn to They're they're socially isolated and some other things that, that might come into it. So, yeah, I think, I think a lot of that comes into play and whether or not that's intentional, you know, are they really afraid of the virus? Are they really making us isolate because of this? Or do they have some some ulterior motive for that? And that's that's something, you know, as much as as much as the conspiracy theories might make sense, you know, and, unless you can get Hillary Clinton on on, you know, on record saying, oh, yeah, we planned that. It was all complete. Yeah. Yeah. That was our plan. Like, unless you have that, you're just you're just speculating. Mm -hmm. Do oh. we have audio? <clears throat> Oh no. no. Stacia Stacia? Yeah. Um, oh. It's so weird. I can hear you guys really well. We can uh, hear you too. I, I heard your very ear quiet. better than your voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you know we're authentic, folks. You're watching this happen <laughs> in live time. No staging here, no script. Well, 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 while Stacia's mute, uh, while she's figuring out how to, to get her uh, uh, mic to work here, um, I, I, I'll introduce her. Uh, well, <laughs> no, she's gone. <laughs> That's okay. She'll be back. Um, Stacia, Stacia uh, runs a news outlet called Second Look uh, Media, and um, and it, it was a conversation that I was in with her and and David and Dan that with that um, where we we brought up this. Uh, um, sort of dissident autism. I, that, I, I can't not call it that now. That's just, just the way that I think about it. dissident autism. Um, because I do think that it, it shapes, it shapes the person like the rat, like the, like the rat cage does. I think mm -hmm. that once you begin building that barrier between people, um, that you do have, uh, you know, a, a natural misery that results until they find their community, which is why I think these conferences wind up being, um, you know, collections, and, and there is a, a huge sexual asymmetry at, at certain conferences, and there probably is, and, and I don't even know, maybe maybe there is also on the uh, the female end, 
Um, you know, where is it that uh, women who have not yet, uh, you know, uh, pair bonded for life go? <clears throat> if, if the young men go to the libertarian convention <laughs> and, Sororities. and meet up. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, you know, there, there's a, I mean, there's fraternities, you know, there's a counterpart to that. Yeah. But maybe, maybe we don't see it as much because there is a, um, <clears throat> also an age asymmetry in the mating process. Um, you know, more marriages happen between, uh, or more pair bonding happens between uh, couples where um, the male is a little bit older to to many years older than the woman. Mm-hmm. That's, that's more often. That's that's interesting because I'm picturing like you know like a 40 year old uh, single woman who's isolated from society and like stereotypically that's the crazy cat lady. Mm-hmm. But um, that, that's not really like a, like you know they don't have conventions for that. Are you sure? Do they? Do yes, they, they do. That is actually a thing. I've <laughs> seen that shit. Yes. Oh, well, well, maybe that's it. Stacia, how's your mic? Uh, testing. Whoa! Hey, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Have you heard me. any of the conversation to this point? No, I just connected to Wi-Fi, so <laughs> I've I've missed it all. Oh, uh, sorry. Um, well, well, we we're done. Okay. It's hard to bring. We solved the whole problem. Right. The Earth is saved. We're good. Yeah, yeah. Saved. And and by the way, Stacia, it turns out the Earth is flat. Wouldn't you yeah. know it? And we we didn't begin the conversation knowing this, but we figured it out. Yeah, like five minutes wow. before you came. Wow. Wow. Very exciting. I suggest we go at least 25 minutes more to make sure we get our full dose of Stacia, because it's my understanding there's some very, the, in fact, the entire premise of this discussion comes from a story involving Stacia, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. Oh. So Stacia, you had this observation going to a, an event, like a, a gathering for Liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, I described you as, as, as being a political nomad, uh, but I'll, mm-hmm. I'll let you self-describe now that you're with us, give us an introduction and then, you know, tell us that story. Oh, um, well, I, I didn't pay attention to news or politics until 2020. And then, uh, it started affecting my life so much that I had to pay attention, um, and had to try to do something. So um, I started Second Look News, and now I'm starting a crypto project uh, that takes the vision of Second Look News like one step further uh, to make it a software. So um, yeah, I, I've uh, connected with a lot of libertarians, um, David and Dan um, are some of those. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I went to my first libertarian convention uh, it was YAL Revolution 2022 in Orlando, and it was really cool. It was a, a well-put-on production. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And which which thing specifically, I don't remember now, uh, which part of the Well, story... you, you made the observation that there were um, a, a large number, relatively speaking, of autistic males. Ah, yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> and and, and we, we've we've gone in we've gone in um, a lot of good directions since then. We we've kind of branched off uh, you know quite a ways away. But um, you know we started off with the conversation as to whether or not we were actually talking about people suffering from autism, or whether or not we were talking about people who were sort of uh, sp- uh, dissident species. And that, uh, and that perhaps, um, you know, that all the psychology surrounding being different from, you know, the larger community, which, you know, the U.S. does seem to be more and more aligned with sort of a, its own brand of corporate fascism in, in a lot of ways. Um, well, uh, I mean, I got the impression that, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if the autistic label means anything but um, I, 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 so one of, <laughs> one of my friends who's very progressive um, had me take a test um, and it said I was right on the line of autistic, um, but it was an empathy test. Like the, the whole test was like, uh, it was supposed to be an empathy test. Um, so of course he, he rated very high on the empathy and I was almost autistic <laughs> in terms of empathy. But I, I feel like I, um, I don't know. I don't remember the test that well now, but I felt like it kind of wasn't fair. <laughs> or, you know, like the questions seemed like they were um, a specific kind of empathy that, anyway. Um, I, I think yeah, such a I, test is designed to make you think that um, that whatever you're experiencing might be more like autism than it really is, because um, you know having a, you know knowing a number of autistic people and knowing you, um, the difference is night and day. You you're, <laughs> you're not autistic, I'm pretty certain. Um, uh, but I, I and, and and perhaps that's a normalization process. Perhaps that is its own um, you know uh, psychological you know, cell or, you know, propagandistic cell, which is to uh, try to make autism seem more normal because it has gone from one in several thousand to one in 30, you know, people who are growing up right now in in the schools. uh, It it is about 3% are autistic. And um, there may be a level of overdiagnosis there. Uh, I don't know. I'd be willing to accept that's the possibility. Maybe the number is only one in 50. Maybe it's one in 100. Um, who are, who are actually suffering from, from, you know, some sort of, you know, maybe one in 50, we'll say 2%, who knows, but there, there does seem to be some level of encouraging a normalization of the idea so that people who might feel shy or people whose empathy isn't quite the same, you know, I, I don't know what it, what the difference might be, but I never would have thought of you as somebody who is unempathic because you, you know, just, when I met you, you were somebody who was reaching out to figure out what is going on in the world. Like you care about the world or something. (laughs) Um, I I never got some sort of feeling of of emptiness of caring about people, but. Well, that's why it seems like there's kind of a divide between um, empathy where it's kind of like whatever, whatever reality you want, uh, I'll support that. Uh, versus empathy that's like I think actual reality matters and working within that is the most empathetic you know so like like accepting reality even when it's ugly um, you know is actually the most empathetic way to to work with it and make our lives better 
Um, so I, I felt like that was the difference. Yeah, that might be like a Myers-Briggs, like S versus T type thing where, mm. you know, some of us just, uh, those of us who are in the minority, that's like a two to one axis. Those of us in the minority just sort of, our, our empathy is expressed a little bit differently. But um, David, before we go back to you, I just, I just want to know, Stacia, is there is there a, an analog to, you know, uh, the young male going to these conventions, uh, searching for a community, and uh, and what happens when when women are pushed out of the community? Is there is there a crazy cat lady oh. community? Is, is this a secret that we don't know? About? <laughs> Why do you think I would know? About that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the only woman here, so you know we we, we thought that you might know. You want you know, me to I share mean... the secrets of the the secret cat lady society that <laughs> all the women know about? <laughs> No guys I know allowed. about libertarian conventions, and it's not because I go to them. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I think this okay. is sexist, but I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> was a Tupperware lady convention at the um, libertarian convention, and uh, it was like hundreds of Tupperware ladies, and they were so hyped. They were like these uh, women of all ages, and they were just, uh, you could hear them shouting from the Tupperware room. Yeah! <laughs> Wait, this was within the, the convention? It was at the hotel. It was just like right next to our convention. I think the Tupperware convention was bigger than you know, American <laughs> Liberties. That's and definitely more hyped. Like, they were so, so hyped. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe maybe that um, maybe that's a tip for you. Uh, they didn't have cats, but they had Tupperware. So there you go. Um, yeah. What I was gonna say is, uh, Stacia, I'm glad you brought up the that test that that you were talking about because that points to a couple different parts of our conversation earlier, specifically what Dan was talking about with the the kind of like psych 101 disorder and the self diagnosis. It's like mm. autism is not something that you find out you have because you took a BuzzFeed test and it told you that you were autistic. Like this is a scientific diagnosis, but people are going online and taking these tests and saying, oh, I'm autistic. And then that ends up kind of pointing to what I was responding to Dan about with the uh, rather than taking personal responsibility for your possible shortcomings, you just say, oh, it's OK, I'm autistic. I don't have to mm -hmm. learn how to talk to people. I don't have to learn how to talk to women. I don't have to learn what social cues mean because I'm autistic and I can just blame it all on that. Uh, and then you end up uh, you know, self-identifying as autistic and then never actually getting better at that kind of stuff. And to the, the main point you've been making, Matthew, that helps the the quote unquote establishment or, or whatever you want to call them, because if all of the dissidents think they can't talk to people or speak well or interact with people well, they are never going to actually create large movements. Yeah. And again, I think that's part of the ash conformity process in the ash conformity experiment. Um, it, you know, it, it's good to have. Uh, both people, uh, or, you know, people who are on both sides, you know, of course, you want people lying in front of the person who's in the experiment. But also, if you could know who that person finds um, trustworthy, uh, like, like they've done it with people in, in you know, lab coats, right? Um, mm -hmm. People in lab coats were considered more trustworthy automatically. Um, but I think that also, you know, who is more attractive or something like that, I think that you could set up people um, who are more attractive or, or more repulsive 
to the person who's going to answer and promote and, and, and steer answers in that way. And I think that the propagandists are very good at this at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think something came out that they um, maybe in the UK, like paid off a ton of influencers to promote COVID propaganda. Yeah, media, social media influencers, they call them bread tube. <laughs> yeah, we have the same thing. I'm, I'm doing a, a conflict of interest project with the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, and you would be fascinated with the federal grants, like from the government of Canada, the the things they funded. One of them was the University of British Columbia here, where I went briefly. They have a project. It was literally it was, so. So the grant was called Encouraging Vaccine Confidence in Canada, and the project they funded at UBC was basically promoting vaccine confidence using TikTok. And me, that means paying TikTok influencers, possibly even UBC students to, I don't know, video themselves getting the shot. So it's everywhere. And it's, it's not a secret. This is all publicly reported stuff. Reported not by the media, mind you. but mm-hmm. Which is interesting because I don't know if uh, it's very strange that I actually know news about Kim Kardashian. But I <laughs> was reading an article yesterday. She's uh, getting fined like $1.2 or $1.3 million from the yep. SEC for promoting an NFT project without disclosing that she was getting paid to do so. I wonder how many of these influencers disclosed in all of their videos, because every single video has to have a disclaimer that they are getting paid to do this. Uh, I, I, I never saw any of that, and I'm pretty sure it just straight doesn't exist. But I don't think anybody's coming after them for getting paid to push propaganda uh, without disclosing it. Well, hers, hers wasn't because she was pushing something that she was paid. It's because, like specifically for like um uh what do they call them um just like any kind of financial products like you have to disclose so like it's it's specific to that it's like Mm -hmm. you can get paid to promote pretty much anything um without breaking any laws but it's like when it when it comes to securities like you know stocks and, and all that kind of stuff that's like that's where it's like under their jurisdiction under their rules and has like you know special stuff same thing with with um with health information, actually, there's um, there's like weird stuff out there, like um, natural supplements, right? Like you can't say that they have any health benefit, even though they've been used for like thousands of years, because, you know, they haven't gone through like, you know, the billion dollar 10 year FDA approval process. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have like these other these other medications out there that like say, you know, oh, they can be used for this, even though they have like a low efficacy. Um but it's like you you can't sell it you can't sell it and say like take these vitamins for this right all you can do is say take these like these are vitamins that's all it is and you can have a different website that's like a blog that says i take these for this but they're not actually selling it right but of course they have a link with an affiliate press it's so bizarre and like even with um with alcohol there's been like studies like actual studies that you know to determine are there any health benefits from taking alcohol or cannabis blood of tyrants um if you sell any of those products you are prohibited from even like linking to a study that's published on an fda website from like your website that sells your alcohol or your cannabis products and it's like but wait a minute like like are you saying we just don't have free speech and it's like well yeah we're using it commercially to push a product 
and it's like that's that's not really the connection but like if they can make it that's 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 where they can kind of draw that line it's, it, but it's really bizarre but yeah to your point about like the the tiktok influencers with with covid shots and everything it's like it's like yeah when the government's in on it like anything is possible mm-hmm. yeah i do think that there is a law for bloggers um by the way uh that requires bloggers to um disclose affiliates and sponsorships mm-hmm. uh, i feel like i remember that coming uh coming into law in like 2005 or something like that i don't know how the laws changed or evolved since then but i remember the debate back then yeah don't worry um there's there's a a quiet contingent of people working behind the scenes that are documenting some of these maybe more ethically gray areas of what do you want to call it pharmaceutical advertising um i mean yeah in la they they had signs um every 10 minutes or something if you drive there are signs get vaccinated get boosted um I, i was just in san francisco and there they still have signs get boosted um and those are like the government announcement systems you know for the roads like and and that was before that was like a while back so yeah it's it's really crazy i'm glad someone's documenting yeah Yeah. and imagine this like will it will it ever be the case that people will admit that they took money to push um you know some sort of a, a narrative during all of this and Stacia, um, you know, before you arrived, I mentioned uh, uh, the VSafe uh, data has now been forced open. And we know for sure that there are 3.35 million Americans, at least, who have suffered serious adverse events. What is VSafe? Um, I, I don't know the exact definition of it, so uh, I don't want to say. Broadly speaking, it, it seems uh, instead of <laughs> instead of paying any attention to VARES, the United States government said we're going to because oh it's a novel situation. We're rolling these things out in a way that has never been done before. It's great. So we're going to introduce this special uh, vaccine adverse event app that you can report uh, your uh, 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 results to. And the problem was, among many others, there was a preset list of adverse events that they even recognized. And uh, it was highly limited. And um, quite clearly uh, didn't capture uh, uh, the actual problems. But the idea is even with the data that was collected through this app, the self-reported data, it this wasn't really no one knew about <laughs> that, that no one really knew about. Exactly. Except, you know, people who, who submitted them, even the data they didn't release, even this limited scope of data they even tried to collect had valuable safety signal information in it. And that has now been uh, forced to be published um, through uh, Freedom of Information. Wow. So, I, I, I didn't realize how little context I knew about it until now. But thank you for explaining that, Liam. You're welcome. Holy cow. The fact that I didn't, uh, and, and I'm involved in this daily, like, you know, nearly seven days a week. The fact that I didn't know that this was an app data collection Wow, nobody had nobody told me that, and um, and my reading is focused elsewhere. So um, that that should tell you how underreported that is. And if 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 two hundred, I mean, you know, we're looking at that's a zero point seven percent. No, sorry, that is that is about a you know one point six percent 
of the vaccinated population then has reported severe injury to VSAFE, maybe a little less, maybe one point, you know, probably 1.3, 1 1.3. It's called 1.3%. And that's just through one app, meaning that's the that's the floor for the amount. That's a lot. We could have 2% severe adverse reaction. That's one in 50 people. That's a lot. Just to clarify, John is asking, so you're saying less than 1% of the people that got vaccinated are reporting adverse reactions. I think it's not as simple as that sentence. Uh, I, I think that it's 0.7% per dose reported severe adverse events. Um, but, you know, uh, over two doses, that, that stacks up. You know, it becomes greater than 1%. But, uh, the, you know, like like we're saying, that that's just reported through this one app. And, you know... I didn't know about this app. Maybe I would have known if I'd had a reaction, but. <laughs> well, I think this is probably something we should go into more depth on a different show about because there's a whole there's that's a whole thing we should um, we should flesh out and make sure we've got the numbers in front of us as well. Um, but, I just want to so, before you get off that, I just want to point out the uh, ridiculousness of the name of the app, that it was V safe. Like right. this is safe. Well, I was just so I was just about to say that. So like first I'm like I'm like looking up what is this actually like what's the acronym acronym stand for? Vaccine safety assessment for for essential workers. And like F is like never like in the acronym, right? So like it's obvious like they they were like, okay, let's call it V safe and let's just figure out some words to like match the acronym. <laughs> um but yeah. what's interesting is like, yeah, like like David pointed out, like they're they're putting safe in it. So like we're like V safe vaccine, it stands V is not V safe one word. It's V dash safe, right? So so it's obvious V is vaccine and something safe. Oh, vaccine safe. It's it's like literally propaganda. And what's interesting is like um, like in the name, right? But what's interesting also is when they when they talk about safety, um, like so I pulled up safety in the dictionary here, and like there's there's historically it's more to these these first two definitions. Secure from liability to harm, injury, danger, or risk. Like secure from risk, like no risk at all. Um, second definition, free from hurt, injury, danger, or risk. Like free from risk, not like a little bit of risk. Like, oh yeah, it's, it's pretty safe. Like, the, you know, like you, there's only a, you know, one in a thousand. No, safe means like free, like you're safe. Nothing's going to happen to you. Um, the third definition is one that historically came along later, which is, which is involving little or no risk. So now we're, we're getting to the point where it's, oh yes, yeah, just a little bit. But I, I think that's really important because like, like really this word safe used to mean like if, if you do something and it's safe, you don't have to worry about anything. There's no consequences to it. And that's really the narrative they've been pushing with these vaccines, even though like from the beginning, they couldn't have known, like they had no testing. And that was what, you know, a lot of people were just questioning in the first place was like, okay, like, let's, let's see some tests. How do we know this is safe? And they were just saying, no, it's safe. Just trust us. It's safe. Yeah. And, and I just want to respond to John Jenkins here. Um, it, it's hard to know uh, when people are self-reporting, it's difficult to know how close their reporting would be to uh, something like a professional diagnostician. Um, that That's something we should always keep in mind with surveys. Um, but at the very least, like, here's the point that I would make is, this needs to be studied, right? That's that's the that's the if what you saw was a good faith effort to connect reports like this to whatever the reality may be, <clears throat> we don't see that good faith effort, 
right? We, we've seen the exact opposite. We've seen attempts to bury it um, and to make people feel like dissidents and to push them out of the crowd um, if, if they even begin to have the discussion. And, uh, and, and that's wrong. That, that, and, and to me, uh, you know, we were talking about proxy trust earlier. And what leaps do you make when you see that proxy trust break down? But, you know, to me, that's a sign that there is something worse going on. Um, you know, personally, I, I believe we're, we're sort of a, I'm calling it World War uh, E. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what that stands for, but World War Everyone. But, you know, uh, World War Economics is actually what I, why I started calling it World War E, other than the fact that it rhymes with three. Um <laughs> yeah, Matthew, do you want to also just address this point? I, I we're sort of getting on a tangent, and we got to wrap up. But I think this is an important correction, perhaps, to make. Uh, in the beginning, the virus was killing two percent of the people that caught it. No, um, <laughs> no, uh, and I think that was an intentional uh, confusion. Two uh, percent was what's called the case fatality rate. Um, the infection fatality rate, uh, the number of people who were exposed to it who wound up dying was closer to like 0.15%. And, and you'll get different numbers from different people. But I, I think that the debate revolved, you know, the different numbers that experts proposed were largely revolving around 0.15%. So, you know, one in 600. But here, but I mean, here's the thing. It was almost all the extreme elderly, right? Uh, in 2020, almost nobody who wasn't, you know, 75 years old or above was getting particularly ill from this. So now, Matthew, as I turn and and uh, begin the process of ending this show and and uh, and thanking our wonderful guests, do you have something that you can link in the chat for John and for anyone else, uh, perhaps from your Rounding the Earth uh, series that maybe goes into a bit more depth? Um, about uh, the issue you're describing, you know, either the, the age um, uh, aspect or the the CFR versus IFR. Is there something you can link in there so that when Dan Wilson inevitably talks about this, we can follow up and say, yeah, but look, we explained further. <laughs> I, I don't think this is the one that somebody like Dan Wilson is going to talk about. But okay. um, uh, I, I, people can, I mean, if you look up um, CFR versus IFR, um, you'll find it. I did not write. Uh, I did not write an article um, on this in particular. Got it. Um, okay, wait, wait, wait. So let's wrap it up now. But this is a great thing to wrap up on because I, I agree. We need to talk solutions. So we're going to do our final statements here. And I'd love to go around and, um, you know, just in summary, uh, with all of the, I wouldn't even call them necessarily problems. With the situations we've been talking about, what are some of the ways forward um, to address uh, uh, the world we live in, to make it a little bit better in the ways we've been talking about Um uh, either ways that you uh, individually are already uh, is, uh, engaging in uh, or things that people watching should themselves consider engaging in to try to uh, improve the social discourse, the dissident discourse, however you want to describe it. Um, Dan, let's start with you. Sure. Um, man, um, I would say as much as we say question everything, I would say question yourself. Um whenever you do something and like, you know, ask yourself, why are you doing this? Because there's a lot of things that we do where we have, we have societal influences, social influences um, that influence us to do certain things. And we never ask like, wait a minute, am I doing this because I really want to, or because I think I have to, to conform to some sort of standard. 
Um, ultimately, I love to tell people real freedom comes from within. You need to you need to be free in your own mind before you can be free in the rest of the world. Um, so start there. But I think questioning questioning your own behavior is is a good uh, starting point. Introspection to like um, to to make that a reality and understand what you really want from your life and and uh, in order to be able to manifest it in the world that you live in. That's wonderful. And danforfreedom.com. That's your website, right? Yep. That's that it. looks like you right there. Fantastic. <laughs> that is now, or at least it should be in the YouTube description. And that will be along with the rest of the links uh, in all the others as well. Once we wrap this show up, um, David, uh, how about you? What are your thoughts to wrap this up? Well, I hate to take this opportunity to self promote, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, there's, there's two different, uh, projects that I'm a part of that I think are attacking at least the this kind of like liberty or like the dissident autism as as Matthew called it uh one of them being the my podcast fight for liberty where I'm I'm trying to give people that would like to fight for liberty the tools that are necessary to do that better and so I've talked to plenty of public speakers and like small business owners and things people of that nature to try to glean some information on how you can better promote uh, liberty. But there's actually another organization that I'm a part of that is attacking this a lot more head on. It's called Liberty Live, uh, where we have two different uh, missions. One is to get the liberty minded people uh, ready to to speak in front of people to uh, promote what they believe better, and then also to kind of tie it into pop culture. And so we're uh, next year, we're putting on about a dozen and a half events around the country of, uh, you know, concerts or uh, carnivals or, or different things with uh, liberty oriented speakers at them to try to bring people in and actually hear the liberty message from a from a well-spoken uh, angle. And I, I think that I'm I'm actually really excited about that because it's a really big need, as we've been discussing, to get people uh, just able to talk to other people about what they believe. And maybe you can get us a link for that. I tried to Google it real quick and couldn't find it, but we'll make sure that everyone has access to Liberty Live as well. That is fantastic. And Stacia, last but not least, how about you? How, what would you leave people with today? Um, I guess. Uh, so I've been hanging out in San Francisco and talking to people i've been shocked at how much misinformation they believe or like like they just haven't been exposed to a lot of information um you know people bring things up and i'm like oh but there was a study that you know disproved that or whatever and they're like what no <laughs> um or or they tell me you know um that the vaccine is to prevent other people from getting covid like to keep you from spreading it and I was like, you still believe that? And, you know, like, uh, it's, it's really amazing. Um, yeah, just the, the information problem is so severe. Uh, and so uh, the projects I'm working on, um, like Second Look News, is really trying to bridge the gap. Um, so we try to write our articles in a way that um, people from different perspectives, um, the information that they're seeing uh, gets uh, like compared um, to other information that they might not have seen. Um, so I, I guess I really believe that you have to show people that 
you understand where they're coming from and you've seen the stuff that they've seen um, before you can try to introduce them to new information. Um, So, yeah, we're really trying to do that at Second Look. Um, And then also I'm starting a crypto project that's still early days, uh, but I can tell you guys more about that another time. That sounds amazing. Well, I'd like to close out by mentioning, um, you know, Operation Uplift is, you know, is a solution that is not, um, it's, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are, it's, it's, I guess it's a dissonant speciation, but, um, you know, it, it is, it's just a community, you know, there's not uh, a lot of, um, there's no politics. It's just, you know, people who, who know that there is something that's, that's wrong and come together and work on projects. And those projects can be research. It can be open source intelligence, like the campfire wiki. And, uh, and some of the, the lovely ladies of, of operation uplift, um, have, have produced multiple songs that have gone viral, uh, including the most recent, uh, they silenced science, um, or the sound of silence, silence, science, uh, and, and the mad and, uh, and Tonica's mad world remake, which I thought was awesome. Um, no, but it, it's just, you know, the solution is just be community, right? Um, mm-hmm. community is this fundamental primary technology of humanity that keeps us balanced between ourselves and the, the ocean of people. Right. So, um, you know, do that, uh, reach out, find people, come join operation uplift if you want. Okay, guys, thank you so much. We've gone a little over time. Thank you for your flexibility and for your uh, willingness to come and have this discussion, uh, including on some very controversial topics right off the bat. Um, You guys are fantastic and look forward to talking with you all again very soon. We'll see you guys later. Um, Okay, so... um, yeah, that was that was fantastic. Right off the bat, I looked to see if we had been demonetized because within the first five minutes, we hit like eight of the topics that generally get you kicked off YouTube. But thus yeah, far, a, not a year so ago, a year ago, we couldn't have gotten that far. Um, but it, it looks like Rumble is uh, is making a real effort to compete with YouTube. Um, you know, allowing uh, greater conversation. But I think also uh, the the Overton window um, has moved around. Yeah. And it's hard to know how much of it's uh, perfectly controlled, but we have, you know, um, people who are not part of, um, you know, the, the, what you would have called the dissidents a year ago, uh, whether it's Jeffrey Sachs, whom I don't trust at all, <laughs> yeah. or, or uh, you know, the, the, the Dr. Malhotra, Malhotra. Um, uh, and uh, I, I don't know that much about him. I just know that he's, um, that he's changed his, his view and, you know, it, the Overton window has opened wider. And so, you know, there we are. And Rumble may force YouTube to stay in line to a certain degree. Same time, keep saying whatever you want. <laughs> yep. Agreed. Yep. And uh, and like you mentioned on your stream last night, we won our first censorship battle. Um, YouTube uh, 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 reached out on Twitter after I publicly called them out and they said, we're looking into it. I didn't expect anything to come of it. And then about a week later, they replied on Twitter saying, we've confirmed you're correct. You didn't violate the rules, so it's back up. Of course, it is demonetized, interestingly. But that's 
that's okay. Now, um, uh, John and Taz both point out that Operation Uplift uh, brings up a lot of hits on Google. So as far as I understand, the best way to join Operation Uplift is probably to um, engage with the Rounding the Earth newsletter. Is there a link there that people can then use to... You know, when I, when I put out the article for uh, this video, I will include the email address. Uh, you know, I've dropped it many places before, but... Um, I, you know, we should have something someplace more permanent. But if, if you visit the Campfire Wiki, yeah, um, that's where there is information there. Let's make sure that the email address is there. Okay. And the Campfire Wiki is, it's really easy, campfire.wiki. And it's also in the description of this and every video we've done. Um, last but not least, I want to end by saying if you want to support the show throughout, we've been talking about uh, we've been slyly uh, sliding in this bottle of blood of tyrants. So we don't we don't really do sponsors uh, or sponsor spots on these roundtables. But because it was relevant, because, as I understand it, Dan um, is one of the people behind blood of tyrants. Why Dan started the brand. So this there is you Dan go. Brand. So, so now um, you know who Dan is. Now, you know, the creator of blood of tyrants wine. Yeah, and I, I do think it'd be fun to have a special episode where we talk to him and and uh, if I think he has a partner as well. Um, regardless, to talk specifically about what Blood of Tyrants wine is beyond just being a you know a tasty bottle, which it is. I can confirm having finished my first of two. So go to uh, bloodoftyrants.wine and uh, use our coupon code Earth, and you can save five dollars on your bottle. Um, and yeah, the other way to support, of course, is to drop us a rumble rant, which is a paid comment here uh, on rumble on all of our live streams. You can also do the same on YouTube with uh, the super chat function, because again, strangely enough, we're still YouTube partners, probably not forever. So, um, thank you guys so much for watching and, um, we'll be back. You've got, I think a math uh, show coming up tomorrow. Am I right? So, yeah, that's a little bit different. I'm, I'm going to be working with a high school student who uh, uh, does uh, math competitions at a high level. wasn't really advertising that, but yeah, I, I want it recorded because I always like to be able to point to what it is that I do, um, you know, mm. as an educational specialist and theorist and and all of that. Okay, cool. Well, maybe I wasn't supposed to mention that, but well, in okay. that case- oh, fine. <laughs> right, you know, who, who, whoever wants to to tune in and see, you know, um, see, uh, you know, the problem solving level, I think it'll surprise people you know, what yeah. it is that uh, high school students do these days. Yeah, uh, unlike certain uh, science communicators. Um, in any case, let's wrap up. Thank you guys so much. I'll be back on Friday with Rounding the News as well. And um, yeah, thank you for watching. We'll see you again soon. <laughs> <laughs>